Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in Thank you for joining us, saints, for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. God bless you and keep you. And, uh, Father, thank you for blessing us with wisdom today. We, uh, we all want to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing to get us there, Lord. Give us wisdom today, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to continue with Tests Prove Who is the Bride, Number nine. In this first revelation, we're going to call the bride needs to plug into the power of sanctification. Yes, this is the foundation for everything. Thank you, Father, for doing that for us in Jesus' name. And this was given to Vanessa Weeks on four four twenty two, and uh, it was about Eve. So Eve put some notes in it before I got it, and. Um, she said, Vanessa said, in my dream, some of us in the fellowship were in a room and there was a white stepladder, which I believe was probably Jesus, on the right side of the room next to the white wall. Well, <laughs> we know Jesus is the only way to heaven and uh, the white wall represents sanctification or holiness. Uh, and Hebrews 12 and 14 tells us, follow after peace with all men and the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. Sep sanctification just means separated from sin unto God, right? Okay, Eve was standing on the top of this stepladder and wearing a head covering. Uh, well, I believe Eve represents the bride here who is walking the highway of holiness submitted to Jesus in her heavenly husband, right? So, wearing the head covering. I knew Eve needed to plug a thick white cord into the wall outlet. This cord had a round plug like you would use for a 240-volt outlet. Well, the bride needs to plug into the power source, which is the Holy Spirit of God, right? So many haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, with the evidences as in the book of Acts. I'm not sure if the cord was in her hand or on the floor, but she had to stay on top of the ladder. Obviously, you have to stay in heavenly places to be able to do the work of God, right? She had to stay on top of the ladder while plugging it in. And the outlet was about 10 feet away from where she was on the top of the stepladder, so you were not able to reach it. Well, she was not able to reach it, right? And uh, <clears throat> it kind of points to grace, doesn't it? Well, but 10, as in 10 feet, uh, is the number of the law. And if we are under the law, or legalism rather than grace, then we're unable to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit. And the grace of God is out of our reach. 
<laughs> basically. So uh, I saw a man standing by the outlet near the wall. And after I woke up, I thought maybe he could plug it in or one of us could. And uh, Eve said, I believe this man uh, represents the David man-child reformers who will teach the bride in the wilderness how to tap into the power of God. Amen. Just as Jesus did. As we will see, uh, I had a dream below of climbing Mount Zion in order to stand next to David who was standing up against a white brick wall, just like in this dream. Yes, quite often... <laughs> We get these little confirmations that connect dream to dream. Um, then Vanessa said, I heard a man's voice say, pray. And then I woke up. I told Barry this, and we prayed. At the time, I thought the Lord may also be saying to pray for the bride to have more power. But it was amazing to me when Eve's talked about needing to plug something into a 240-volt plug in our meeting. <laughs> Confirmation. As I uh, meditated on this dream, the Lord reminded me of 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, which says, And he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yes, as long as we are strong, God is weak. And when we are weak and we proclaim it, that it's not us, it's the Lord, then he is powerful. Okay, so uh, Eve had this on 6.3.22, rejecting the idolatrous world to climb Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. She said, I dreamed that I was in a movie theater with my son, Josiah. The movie theater represents the apostate church system. Movies are generally fake like the apostates are. They're playing religion, but it's not the real thing. So Eve's son, Josiah, represents the man-child reformers who help God's people turn from idolatry. See, that's part of sanctification too, right? So, he uh, went on to say, the movie theater was located at the base of a steep mountain. Well, the base of Mount Zion is where many start out in apostasy. You know, if they're seeking to go any higher and into the bride, which is Mount Zion, and, um, and some don't even know that this is... <laughs> A possibility or else they believe they're already there <laughs> we were there to watch a movie that we knew was family friendly but the rest of the audience thought it was going to be an evil movie full of foul language sex violence so on and so forth well we know that the elect of god desire holiness and righteousness represented by the family friendly movie but the false Christian actors of apostasy want to entertain the flesh. And boy, it was just amazing how what depths they can plunge to when they want to do this. 
And uh, he went on to say, once the movie started and these apostates realized it was a cartoon kids movie, they became disgusted and angry and began to file out of the theater. They don't really think they have to start out as a child, right? But Jesus said we must become as a child to enter the kingdom. They all think they're very grown up. Their religion teaches them they're the, the uh, you know, the top of the heap, right? <laughs> when a child accepts what their father tells them, and uh, that's who we should be accepting, not men, right, but what our father tells us. Jesus said, he that is of God hears the words of God. That's how we know who is of God. They will listen to God's word. And Josiah and I got up to follow them out to see where they were going. When we got out into the lighted theater lobby, we realized that they were all actors and news reporters. So they're just reporting about themselves, putting on a show. They were like mind-controlled zombies with microphones and camera crews uh, following them everywhere. Well, Christians are trained by apostate leaders into believing in a false reality that doesn't permit them to tolerate the truth. They just emulate their leaders, and all the Christian actors are repulsed by sanctification and the crucified life. Many times they call it works, although Jesus spoke it very plainly. Uh, they want as little responsibility as possible. Basically, they like to step over the line type thing. I'm there. I've had it. That's it. All I got to do is sit down on a pew and wait for Jesus, right? But they won't be prepared for Jesus, no more than the Pharisees were prepared for Jesus, right? So as Josiah and I followed them out the front doors, they all went over to the left at the base of the mountain and were doing their individual performances <laughs> in front of their different camera crews. Hmm. Well, these are the goats whom Jesus put on the left, and they worship another Jesus that allows them to play church. And uh, they think the big time is when they can produce a false persona about themselves because they have departed so far uh, from the examples that were given to us. Okay, uh, there was a chain-link fence with barbed wiring along the top of it surrounding the mountain with only one gateway and the path leading to the steep climb to the top. Well, this is true. There is only one way to the top of Mount Zion, and that is Jesus. And we have to go through Jesus, the door, right? Uh, he is our example and the door to the sheepfold. So these zombie actors and uh, reporters were content to stay at the bottom of the mountain, separated in their own little universe, play-acting and pretending with, with their lives. And the Lord told Demetri Dudeman, Get on top of the mountain, Demetri, or you will burn. In other words, judgment is coming to those who are content to stay in apostasy with their a false Christianity and a false Jesus. 
I decided to walk straight ahead through the gateway and up the steep path to try to make it to the top of the mountain with Josiah. Well, we must choose the door, Jesus. He's our example. Religion, modern religion, is not. And uh, his nature and character will help us reject the idolatry with the world and climb Mount Zion to attain unto righteousness. And his presence is there, right? I thought it would be more difficult than it actually turned out to be. Well, the Lord takes our burden, does he not? Mm -hmm. I was able to climb it without getting out of breath or any sort of muscle fatigue. Well, we know 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, And he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We brag about the Lord and not ourselves, because it's all grace. And um, it's, it's not following the rules of any religion, it's following grace, right? And once we made it to the top, I saw a small, white-walled-in area that consisted of stepped plateaus in the side of the mountain. This area belonged to David and UBM. Oh, praise the Lord. And, um, well, just as King David ruled from Jerusalem atop Mount Zion, so the man-child David reformers will rule over the bride, which is in the New Jerusalem, and is the New Jerusalem, that is coming down out of heaven. And uh, as John was said, uh, was told, um, this is the bride, okay? There was, because we're born from above, this is not physical, we are born from above, we are born out of heaven, right? So, there was a brick building belonging to UBM that had a wooden prayer request box and a stack of white prayer request cards next to it. We walked inside and saw an older woman filling out one of the cards and putting it into the slot on the top of the box. Well, UBM does pray with many people around the world, and we provide many materials that provide the answers to their prayers or tell them the way to get the answers, right? And we, we have to know what to believe for, and then we have to believe in faith. And when we came back out of the building, we walked up the slope a little further, and there was another plateau with two rows of picnic tables where many UBM brethren were sitting. Well, uh, UBM uh, provides the spiritual food and the steps to take uh, for, for those who consume our materials, right? And UBM is, of course, just a type for any other uh, unleavened bread people out there that believe you should not add to or take from the Word, right? Well, David was standing next to the white wall near the picnic tables. There it is, the, the white wall again. So this is just like Vanessa's dream, representing standing on top of Mount Zion in sanctification. That's what the wall means. It's separation, which means sanctification. The ground was very steep where he was standing, and I had to be careful with my footing 
to get up where he was standing against the white brick wall. Habakkuk 3 and 19 tells us, uh, The Lord, the Lord is my strength, and he maketh my feet like hinds feet, and will make me to walk upon my high places. It's all by grace, but you have to desire truth and love truth, right? I was finally able to get up there and stand next to him against the white brick wall, and then I woke up. Well, the bride will reign on Mount Zion with the David man-child reformers, um, and that was just like it was with Esther, right? Everything is a repeat of history. Okay, here's uh, Isaac Payne's revelation from 5.5.22, and we called it Final Exam of Faith for the Bride. Final Exam. In this dream, I was in a history class. We're, we're spelling that H-I-S-S-T-O-R-Y <laughs> because it's a repeat of what has already happened. It's his story, amen, being fulfilled. I was in a history class with many other students. And as you know, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 says, That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. So the teacher was a lady with shoulder-length, straight brown hair, and she was giving everyone a verbal review of the upcoming end-term final exam. Well, let me say, wisdom is feminine in the Bible, because those who have her are able to receive the seed or word of God. We have to first receive the seed before we could give the seed. There are many people out there giving the seed, and they only have one thing that they should be doing, and that is receiving the seed. <laughs> Proverbs 8 and 1, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? So you see, uh, it's feminine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 6, Hear, for I will speak excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. Amen. So, uh, she said this, or he said this final exam was a major portion of the overall grade for the class. We are currently in the final testings, I believe, and the trials of our faith to decide who is chosen as the bride. Some will pass the test, but many will fail, as in the parable of the sower and as in the book of Esther. You know, uh, they were all tested, and Esther was chosen, and the rest were not. I felt that I was not prepared for all, at all for this test, and I looked at my desk and realized I had no supplies. <laughs> well, we know that the Lord will supply all that we need to pass the test in the kingdom. It's faith in Him that counts. It's grace from Him that works. And Esther 2 and 13 says, Then in this wise came the maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. House of the women, of course, is the place of the denominations and the people who have come to know God in a measure, right? I also don't remember turning in any 
homework or doing any of the previous assignments that were ever issued earlier in the semester for this class. Matter of fact, I felt that I was just translated into this class because I had no recollection of ever participating in this history class. <laughs> well, we are to repeat his story by uh, walking in his steps. 1 John 2 and 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. We can't copy men or religions. All of the religions in Jesus' day failed in that regard. And history repeats. When we are born, we become part of God's history class. And the trials and testings begin. We will only pass by the grace of God given to us through faith in Jesus. Amen? During the review process, I, I felt overwhelmed and felt as if I was going to fail the class. I, some people feel that way now, right? I didn't see the point of participating in the end-term final because I didn't see how it was possible for me to pass the class. And I walked up to the history teacher, representing the Holy Spirit of Wisdom, right, to have a word with her. I told her, there isn't any point for me to take the final, and it would just be wasting my time because I, I couldn't pass the test anyway, even if I made 100% on the final. She just listened to me without saying much. At this point, I figured I would just retake the class the next year. Despite my hopelessness, I asked, what is my current grade, and what would I need to make on the final to pass the class? Well, we shouldn't get discouraged uh, because Christ in us has done all the homework. And when he died on the cross for us. So we just need to accept this free gift by faith. And when we see him in the mirror, we know that we don't live anymore. He lives in us. And therefore, we know that we have his ability and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? You see him in the mirror, that means you have what he is and he lives in you, right? She then looked at all my previous grades and averaged them out and she said, you presently have a 60%. And you can pass the class with flying colors if you make a good grade on the final. I was totally shocked that I had this good of a grade, and especially since I had not done any of the work to get this grade. Well, the work's all done from the Lord, from the foundation of the world, remember? So I knew in this school that a 60% was a passing grade. Matthew 13 and 8 he gives, and uh, others fell upon the good ground and yielded fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. There's the sixty right there. Uh, Matthew 13 and 33, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened, which means a hundred percent, right? I believe... 
he said the three measures represent the 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold of Christ in us. Yes, amen. The fruit of Christ in us is what allows us to pass the test, right? And we have this gift from God. We have the mind of Christ, the Scripture says. I sat down again at my desk surrounded by the other students, and I had a surge of confidence. So he finally believed the gospel, right? The good news. Uh, that it was all finished. <laughs> I knew at this point I had to put all my effort into studying because the final was due three days from now. Hmm. Well, 2 Timothy 2 and 15 in the KJV uses the word study here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yep. Hosea 6, 2 through 3, he said, After two days will he revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live before him. And let us know, let us follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is as sure as the morning, and he will come unto us as the rain, as the latter rain that watereth the earth. Well, we know the latter reign of the Holy Spirit is how the Lord is coming to be manifested in his people. And uh, although the final review was verbal, he said, I had the book of the history class and I felt empowered and supernaturally knew I could study and retain the history book to pass the final with a hundred percent. And then I woke up. So I, he said, I believe this history book is the Bible. And when we get it in our hearts, we can retain more of Jesus. It's no coincidence that in this dream, it was a history class that I was partaking of. And we are justified by faith. We are accounted righteous. He didn't say we were righteous. He said we are accounted righteous. That is what the word justified means. By our faith that Jesus gave us his life. And he nailed ours on the cross. And we're accounted as righteous. And hearing the good news, Isaac was very confident. Amen. My oldest son, Israel, has a gift of interpreting dreams. When I told him the dream, he said that the history class is about the history of Jesus, who has always been. Well, Colossians 1, 15 through 18, um, Isaac gives us here. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? For in him were all things created, and in the heavens uh, and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, all things have been created through him and unto him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in him all things he might have preeminence. Okay. 
And John 5 and 46 says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? It's true. It's a big problem with religion today. Okay. He went on to say, The Old Testament and the New Testament speak of Jesus, and we need to partake of the whole Lamb as the Israelites did during the Passover. John 1 and 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And also, uh, the night after I had this dream, I was attending the UBM Zoom meeting in a gentleman was uh, doing a very detailed teaching on righteousness apart from works. It dawned on me then that I didn't do the homework. Hence the word work or any assignments to obtain the 60%. Well, it's all by faith. However, I'm believing for a hundredfold fruit. Well, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Me too, too. Okay, this is Garrett Crawford's Revelation 6, 9, 22. The bride takes her test early. Hmm. Garrett said, The Lord gave me a dream last night that there is a test coming, and many of us are playing around and have not studied. <laughs> True. Well, the Lord is, is using trials to prove His elect. And we must study the Word and put it down into our hearts in order to overcome the trials and the testings that are coming. So, in the dream, I watched many who were given the test early, and they were ready and passed the test. Hmm. Or at least they were confident they did well. Well, the first fruits passed the test through faith, right? Their faith is in the power and the wisdom of God and not in themselves. Amen. And others played around in the classroom watching the other students take the test, thinking within themselves that they too would be ready when it was their turn. Hmm. But they had a false assurance of self-confidence and decided not to study for the test even while there was still time. And after the first group had been tested, the ones that failed to prepare were finally given the test. They thought they would easily pass the test, like all the other students, but without studying. But once the test questions were placed before them, they realized the questions were far more complex than they had prepared for. Well, it's kind of like the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, 1-13. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish, when they took their lamps, took no oil with them. That's that anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the anointing, by the way, is on the Word, too. It's not on religion, but it's on the Word of God. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. 
But at midnight there is a cry, Behold the bridegroom, come ye forth to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Peradventure there will not be enough for us and you. Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Well, buy the truth and sell it not. <laughs> right. So those people aren't got any business. Uh, we buy it with our lives, by the way. We buy the truth with our lives. You have to give up our lives to know the truth, right? And while they went away to buy, the uh, bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not the day nor the hour. No one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven. You understand, the Word is the manna that came out of heaven, and we have to become the Word made flesh to be recognized by the Lord. We can't come into the image of a worldly Jesus and expect that we will be accepted that way. So the questions were not simply question and answer. They were three-dimensional holographic questions, and each question was a series of three questions, but all had to have the same answer. It was unlike any test they had taken before. They quickly realized it was only by the grace of God that they would pass. Since in reality no normal way of study could have prepared them for this test, and then I woke up. Hmm. Well, the Word of God is the only way to study for the tests of life. It is a three-dimensional text, and each time you read it, the Holy Spirit reveals more and more revelations of truth to you. And putting the Word of God, who is Jesus the Word made flesh, is uh, the way to bear fruit in our lives and pass the test. All right. Our enemies are conquered. And this is my writing here. We must take care to fight with the demonic enemies. The spiritual enemies that are human enemies have given their life over to serve. Mark 16 and 17 says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There we go. Why? How can he command us something that we can't uh, attain to? He's, he's telling us and giving us this gift. In other words, let the weak say, I am strong, right? Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Yes, he is a sneaky devil. And he wants to draw us away from justification by faith. He wants to draw us away from faith. He wants to fill us with condemnation because we've believed what he said. But our wrestling is not against flesh and blood 
but against the principalities and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, if you will not stand now, what about the evil day? Hmm. Okay, so we're in training now for the things that are coming. Amen. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with all taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. So, the evil one um, sends many thoughts into our minds to conquer us, do we have faith in the truth to defend ourselves? Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit brings up. He reminds us of those things that were said by the Lord to uh, defend ourselves. Will, he, will we get double-minded when he fires his thoughts into our mind and accept them as our own thoughts? That's what happens a lot of times. Will he then be able to condemn us for his thoughts? That's what he does a lot of times. You know, you don't have to accept who you are not. Remember, you look in the mirror and you see Jesus, and you don't live anymore. He lives in you, right? And take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, excuse me, which is the word of God. With all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit, and watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication, for all the saints. So pray for others too, because God will have them pray for you. <laughs> have you been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can pray in the Spirit? Because we need to pray in the Spirit because the Spirit knows things we don't know. And He doesn't necessarily agree with our doctrine when He prays. He agrees with the truth. That's why you need to let Him pray through you, and you don't have to understand it. Amen. So these spiritual powers are now under the feet of his body. Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, what has he called you to? Well, he's called you to Christ-likeness, whether they, they will admit it or not. And what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Our inheritance is Jesus. He is our inheritance. He lives in us. We were crucified with Christ. And what the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe. His power is far beyond we can understand. But when we believe, we have it. And according to that working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, 
not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, or things actually isn't in there, but all to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So notice very carefully here that the Lord is the head of the body, and he put the dominions under the lowest member of his body, which is the feet. Yes. So Colossians 2, 12-15 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, wherein you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead through your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, did he make alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, having blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us. Did you hear that? Yes. All those rules and regulations and stuff that were against us, right? which was contrary to us, and he had taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So, so much for the condemnation of the devil. He condemns us for things that sometimes we don't know what it is. Well, you dismissed it because to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. You know what he is going to whip you for, Right? Having despoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Well, the Bible says he always leadeth us in triumph, which means celebrating the victory that he gave to us. We're not celebrating our victory. We're celebrating the victory that he gave to us. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. The only thing that remains is for us to enter into those works by faith. Amen. Luke 10 and 1. Now after these things the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two before his face. There's your two witnesses. Before his face into every city and place whither he himself is about to come. Now we know that the, the, uh, the Lord and the man child is going to do the same thing. History will repeat, except now it's a much larger scale, right? And 17 through 20 says, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. See, he simply told them, gave them authority to go out and do this, and they went out and do it, did it, and they were excited because they had authority. Do we have authority? Yes, we do. It's written in the Word. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit at this time, but they were given authority to use the name of Jesus. Now just imagine when we get the Holy Spirit, which is when he sent them out in the book of Acts, by the way. He said, tarry until you receive the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, right? And they did, and they received it, and then they were sent, because now they had the power of God and the wisdom and the direction of God, right? And he said unto them, I beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven. So they were casting down the dominion of Satan as they went forth. Amen. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents. Those are demons whose poison is in their head. It's called deception. Serpents. 
and scorpions. That's demons whose poison is in their tail to make you flee as powerless, right? And over all the power of the enemy, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Now, this doesn't come automatically. It comes by faith, right? Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, these uh, scorpion spirits come to rob you of justification by faith so that you lose the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice and have to start over to recognize the benefits of the crucifixion. We are crucifying Jesus afresh when we allow this to happen. And if you have confessed any sins that you know of, which are the only ones that count, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 7-9 And then you're justified. And then reconciliation is made. And you are uh, to see Jesus in the mirror by faith because, as Paul said, you don't live anymore. Christ lives in you. Amen. And this is all words of faith, a good confession in the sight of many witnesses, etc. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live. The devil keeps telling you that you live and you're making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but you need to tell him this, because when you confess the Lord and his sacrifice before men and before the devil, uh, the, the uh, high priest of your confession confesses you before the Father. Hmm. So I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ liveth in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, but we all with an unveiled face. The veil was religion, remember that. With an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. This revelation causes the Lord to empower you. And then you are subject to the condemnation of the devil. Uh, or you are to reject the condemnation of the devil. Right? You have the authority to do that when you look in the mirror and you see Jesus, right? And if you see yourself in the mirror after you have confessed all sin, you are beating up Christ in you, uh, just like the faction does. You're crucifying him afresh. And if you are condemning yourself after you confess your sins honestly, you do not believe that Jesus and you will get no grace uh, to overcome. You don't believe that Jesus is in you and you will get no grace to overcome. And you're beating him up in you. The spiritual man has to grow because of your faith in the word of God. If you're in willful sin, confess and forsake it and look at Jesus in the mirror. Confess his righteousness and holiness that is yours 
uh, and you don't live anymore. There's no other way to have power from God to defeat self. What must we do to do the works of God, his disciples asked. And Jesus said, believe on him whom he has sent. How simple. So, um, here's a revelation that was given to Eve on 829, 2020. And we called it helping the faction to crucify Jesus afresh. Hmm. In our, in our meeting, I heard the Lord saying, Why do you, my people, crucify me afresh continually? For you are indeed crucifying me afresh. And according to the dream, it is by helping the faction to crucify him. So I had thought this dream below was just a personal correction for me. But when I heard the Spirit say, My people... And Lexi's interpretation of Merlene's tongues when he said, Why are you, my children, forsaking me for the world? And I knew this dream was a corporate correction to the body. So, when we accept what demons say about us instead of what Christ says about us uh, in his promises, we're giving up ground to the demons. We've been given authority over all of their power. How come people are not exercising it? Right? They're not believing the promises or the commands. So here's the dream. I dreamed that I was walking through an old western town along the main dirt road with Jesus. He was to my right, and at first I was happy to be walking next to him. But then I looked up and I saw that the whole left side of his face and head had been severely beaten and he was all bloody. He had blood stains on his garments and he looked like he had been drugged through the dirt. I was horrified to see him like this and I felt an immense pain for him. And then I became very angry and indignant and asked him, who did this to you? He turned and gestured with an open left hand and arm to a group of followers who were supposed to be his disciples, about 10 to 20 paces behind us, and I looked back at them. They were clamoring at him and shaking their fists in anger at him and also one another. Uh, there was much confusion among them. So these are the faction who crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. But we are exhorted to hold on to the faith and not help them to kill us, right? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 12 says, Wherefore, leaving the doctrine of the first principles of Christ, let us press on unto perfection not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the teaching of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permit, for as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, 
and then fell away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. You see, the more you know, the more you're responsible. And, uh, and this is the only way to grow in, in the image of Christ, of course. You don't, it's, it's a, a catch-22. If you don't receive the truth and repent and walk in the truth, you won't come into the image of Christ. Everyone that's, that uh, says they abide in him, the Bible says, let them walk as he walked. So we've been called to this, and we've been given the gift to do this. For the land which has drunk the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them, for whose sake it is also tilled, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we speak thus. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and the love which you showed towards his name, in that you ministered unto the saints and still do minister. And we desire that each one of you may show the same diligence unto the fullness of hope even unto the end that you be not sluggish, but imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Well, notice that the factious are facing Eve and the Lord, and when they accuse and condemn you, they are accusing the Lord as in Matthew 25 and 40, which says, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these my brethren, even these least, you did it unto me. So if you accept those spirits and what they say through these wicked people, you too will die. I looked back up at Jesus and he looked at me with such love in his eyes, but it was mixed with hurt and a questioning look of, Why did you take part in helping them? Suddenly I got the revelation that I had helped these people to drag Jesus through the dirt and crucify him afresh, and I was all at once horrified by this realization as I woke up and began to process what I had dreamed. So when do we help the faction crucify Jesus again? when we accept what their scorpion spirits speak to us of condemnation, accusation, slander, uh, reminding us of our past instead of believing we were crucified with Christ. And through witchcraft, they send these spirits against the righteous, and some are believing them and turning away from the truth. Eve learned that she was believing the condemnation of these spirits, which helps them to crucify Christ in her. Amen. Wow, you know, it's such an awesome revelation, you know. Um, we have to walk by faith instead of by sight. We, um, we know that we receive the end from the beginning. When we look in the mirror and we see Jesus, 
we are seeing that the gift that God has given unto us is Christ-likeness. And uh, he also nailed all of our sins on the cross, so therefore you don't have them anymore. That's how faith works. He made you free from sin. Paul said that twice in Romans chapter 6. And there he also said, Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. And what did he say? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Oh, there is a way to let not sin reign in your body. And he said it was, Reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. You see, the devil is trying to condemn you and judge you and cause you to lose justification by faith. Once you've lost your justification, which means accounted righteous, you don't have anything given from God. It's all because of what Jesus did. It's not because of what you can do. Okay? So as you hold to that by faith, what Jesus did, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, uh, the the Father will give you power. So it's not just receiving the Holy Spirit. It's being able to hear the Holy Spirit. And the Father will give you power and you will be delivered from the works of darkness. Well, Father, thank you so much for this revelation. I pray that I know some may want to go through this again or even look at the text, you know, that we provide, which is not exactly what I preach, but it's... um. It's a rounded uh, revelation there. So we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would encourage our brethren out there to um, walk in the steps of Jesus through faith in what he accomplished already for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And also, um, Brother Michael Hare is going to follow with the revelation he wants to share with you. And we just pray, Lord, that you give everybody eyes to see and ears to hear. And you bless them mightily uh, to remember everything that the Lord is showing. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Got a nice summer day here. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and enter into the courts with praise. And I bless your name, Lord, for you are great and you are greatly to be praised. I adore you, Lord, and we worship your holy name. And we stand before your throne of grace and thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy upon our lives. I thank you, Lord, for watching over our lives and for your protection upon us, the protection of the blood of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for clothing us in the robe of righteousness that covers us because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I praise you for your holy word, Lord, that gives us the standard by which we live. And I thank you, Lord, for your anointing today to get out this message that you would have us to give, Lord, about being made well in Christ. And I praise you for it. Jesus mighty name. Well, amen. You know, it doesn't make any difference what angle you look at Christianity. That is a miracle. 
And the most amazing miracle is that new creation. You know, a man becomes a new creation by receiving the very life and nature of God. Now let's look at these scriptures. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, And you, being dead through your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, you, I say, did he make alive together with him, having been gracious to us in all our trespasses. We've been made alive together with him. And then the 12th verse says this, wherein you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now that's the legal aspect of the new creation. And everything that is legally ours can become a reality, a vital reality. In the mind of the Father, we were made alive with Christ. When he was made alive in spirit, we were made alive in spirit. And this becomes a reality to us when we personally accept Christ as Savior and confess him as Lord. The life of God comes into our spirits and recreates us. We're a new creation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 said, And you did he make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. And that can be called the miracle of Christianity, an actual new creation. There'd be a whole lot more pleasure in our old age than in youth if we didn't fear it. We dread it because of, uh, of the fear of pain and disease and the struggle with death. So maybe a few facts about life and death would be helpful to us. You reckon? You know, spiritual death is the parent of physical death. There was no physical death until Adam died spiritually. There was no death in the original blueprint of creation. Now we know that at the end of this age, death is going to be swallowed up of immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, The last enemy that shall be abolished is death. There's going to be a deathless eternity. My question is, why can't there be a sick, free present? And I believe it is the will of the Father that the church be as free from sickness as it is from sin. Folks, death is an enemy. Weakness and disease are enemies. Death is not only the enemy of man, but it is also the enemy of God. 1 Timothy 1 and 10 tells us that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, death lost its dominion. It says, But hath now been manifested by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He did two things. He brought life and immortality to us, and he abolished the dominion of death. When he rose from the dead, he had conquered death personally. He conquered death in Lazarus, 
He conquered death in the widow's son. He was the Lord of life. Revelation 20 and verse 14 says, And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And then chapter 21 and 4, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's going to be the end of death. This promise of the final destruction of death has in it a suggestion that there is, in the plan of redemption, something to give us assurance of a sick, free life until our bodies wear out and mortality wins without a struggle. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness, and as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our diseases and carried our sicknesses. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Or that word grief means sick. Verse 12, Because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's his high priestly ministry now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And now we can see in this whole program that heads up in these words, with his stripes we were healed that the sin and disease problems have been settled. And as surely as Jesus was our sin substitute, as described in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so surely have we become the righteousness of God in him. Glory to God. The object of his being made sick with our diseases was that we might be perfectly healed with his life. As we're in his life, we're healed. There's no escaping the fact that as surely as he dealt with the sin problem, he dealt with the sickness and disease problem as well. Hebrews 9 and verse 26 says, And now, once at the end of the ages hath he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then chapters 10 and verse 12. But he, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He put sin away so that we might be born again, become new creations. And that this sin nature that has held us in bondage to the adversary would be eradicated. 
and that the nature of God in us should take its place. And it's the new nature that settles the sin problem for us individually. The problem of sins is settled already. The things we did before we accepted Christ are wiped out as though they had never been. Now we're in the family. We are the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 10.38 But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrink back, my soul hath no pleasure in him. The new creation is called the righteousness of God. He is the righteousness of God. And his standing with the Father is just like Jesus standing. If he sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He loses the sense of righteousness when he sins, but Jesus, the righteous one, intercedes for him and restores his lost fellowship and sense of righteousness. First John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that restores his fellowship and brings him back into full communion with the Father. Now, by the same token, after one has been healed, because by whose stripes we were healed. In the mind of God, he is just as much healed of disease as he is healed of sin. There's no difference. We're healed of everything. If after he has been healed of disease, the adversary puts upon him some other disease or infirmity, all he's got to do is to follow the procedure he followed when he broke fellowship with the Father spiritually. <clears throat> Sickness is breaking fellowship with the Father physically. As he can get restoration of fellowship and a restoration of his sense of righteousness by confessing his sins and by the advocacy of Jesus Christ, he can get his physical healing the same way. Disease of the Spirit is the thing that keeps one from his healing. And what are the diseases of the Spirit? Well, it's doubt, fears, Sin consciousness, a sense of inferiority, fear of unworthiness, and a sense of unfitness to stand in God's presence. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all of that. The moment, the very moment that we acknowledge that sin. And forgiveness means the absolute wiping out of everything he has confessed as though he had never committed the act. And we need to remember that, folks. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For indeed, we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon, that what is mortal may be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought us with this very thing is God, who gave unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now that Greek word here for life is zoe. It means eternal life, resurrection life. In other words, it means that the life of the Son of God, eternal life, 
can absolutely dominate, rule, swallow up, and control our very physical lives, then if this is true, then sickness is absolutely defeated, physical witness is eliminated, and Psalms 27 and 1 is a reality. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord of God, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Folks, light is knowledge, and Jesus is the light of the world. He who walks in that light will not stumble as one who walks in darkness, because he will have the light of life. John 8 and 12 says, I am the light of the world, and he that follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The word is going to be his lamp, his light, and his salvation. That's true deliverance. That's redemption. Praise God. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a deliverance from the things that are not in the Father's will. And don't for a moment believe that mortality is in the will of the Father. Mortality means weakness, sickness, and death. You can't conceive of disease and sickness being the will of the Father. It's not there. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This means salvation from sickness, disease, and weakness of the physical body. And that fear no longer dominates your life. And if a man could be delivered from fear of weakness, death, or pain, he would be a conqueror. You'd be a warrior for Christ. Redemption planned that very thing that these bodies of ours should never be subject to to, uh, disease after we're born again. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh, some of you might be saying. Hey, folks, that wasn't sickness. That was a demon humbling Paul. It ain't got nothing to do with disease. And all of that talk about Luke being Paul's physician is not true. Physicians back then were sorcerers. They belonged is a spiritualistic group. The Greek word pharmakia, which we get pharmacy, is the word for sorcerer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, always bearing about in the body of the, in the body, the dying of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Why? Well, because they lived in the constant fear of stoning, being thrown to the lines, or being burned at the stake. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's a startling statement. God's life reigning in our physical bodies. Glory to God. What great promises God has given us. So, Psalms 27 and 1 again says, Jehovah is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? These mortal bodies, these death-doomed bodies of ours now 
have the strength of God and the life of God flowing through. Jesus' life is imparted to our physical bodies. That's not healing. That is preservation from sickness. That is protection. That is the strength and power and ability of God in our physical bodies. Now, don't try to get your healing. God's already given it to you. And don't try to believe because you are a believer and all things are yours. And don't talk doubt because it breeds more doubt. Now, to destroy the works of the devil, one of the strongest scriptures in connection with healing is Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. This is physical healing. This is the Holy Spirit taking the life of God and making it fruitful in our physical bodies, making it health and strength and life to us. This same Holy Spirit who raised the dead body of Jesus is now working in our death-doomed bodies, making them perfect, sit free, and sinless. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, He that doeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. To this end was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus did his part of destroying the works of the devil. After he left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit and gave us the use of his own name and this wonderful revelation, the New Testament, that we, his representatives here on earth, might go on and destroy the works of the devil. That's our job, folks, to destroy the works of the devil. Everything that comes between us and God. The sin, the sickness, and the diseases that are in the church today are there because of not, because of our not taking our places in Christ. They're prevalent in the church today because we have never been exercised to do the work that Jesus said we were to do. Do you think that he would have given us John 14, 12 through 14 if we were not to use it? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. We're going to do greater works than the Lord, because there's going to be a whole lot more of us. Not only that, we'll have situations that he may not have had that we're going to be able to utilize the power and authority that he gave gave us to get us out of those situations. Praise God forevermore. Our work is that of destroying the works of the adversary. And then the, that weapon we are to use is found in the 13th and 14th verses of John. <clears throat> and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Now, that word ask means demand. 
His name is to be used in the sense that we see it used in Acts chapter 3 by Peter, who spoke to that impotent man at the gate of the temple, saying, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That was not a prayer. That's casting out demons in Jesus' name. There is healing for the sick in that name. There is power to break disease and sickness in the hearts and lives of men in that name. Can that name of Jesus keep us from sickness? Can it keep us from want? Can it keep us from poverty, fear, and the dread of hunger and cold? Can that name be used just as Jesus suggested in Mark chapter 16 and verse 18, where it says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Folks, the early church was utterly independent of circumstances. I don't mean the whole church. I mean the apostles who understood fully the use of the name of Jesus. Men could be sick then by breaking fellowship and because of lack of knowledge, just as they can be today and are. The early church, that is the Gentile portion of it, had never had any revelation from God. It was utterly raw material. And the Jews were in worse condition. They were covenant breakers, just like the modern church is today. And the most difficult to deal with today are the most religious. And if there was sickness in the early church, it was to be expected because they had no precedent. They didn't have any examples ahead of them. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we are his instruments to do his work. We are to destroy sickness in the church. And our new slogan today ought to be, no more sickness in the body of Christ. His word is to become a reality in the lives of men. And the fact that he bore our sins and put sin away by the sacrifice of himself and that he made provision for the remission of all we have ever done or said proves that we ought not to be sick or in bondage to sin. He made the sacrifice for sins. The things we had done as a result of the sin nature. The new birth wipes out everything that our old man did. Praise God forevermore. That is awesome news, folks. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. Romans 8 chapter 1 becomes a reality. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The people who are in Christ Jesus are sin-free. 
disease-free, and condemnation-free. So we need to rise up and take our place and go out and carry this message of deliverance and victory to the world. And it's real important that we grasp clearly 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, These things have I written unto you, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, even unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. We've got God's nature, and that gives us a perfect fellowship with the Father and a perfect right to use his name, a perfect deliverance and freedom from Satan's dominion. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. Glory to God. John 14, 13 and 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Romans 6 and 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. If sin can't lord it over you, folks, the disease and sickness can't lord it over you because they come from the same source. The nature and life of God that has come into you will give you life and health. Psalms 91.16 says, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And we all admit that the 91st Psalm belongs to the church. It doesn't apply to the Jews, but it does apply to us. Psalms 91 says, He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth, or the word, is a shield and a buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. There is protection from earthquakes, from hurricanes, from tornadoes, from pestilence, from sickness, from war. And folks, that puts us into the realm of the supernatural. We are linked up with Christ so that he said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. What flows through him, folks, flows through us. And the life in the vine is in the branch. As soon as the branch is wounded, the vine pours life into that wounded branch so it can go on bearing fruit. So the life of God pours into the body of Christ and heals the members of sickness, disease, and want so that they can go on bearing fruit to the glory of God. Worry and fear poison the bloodstream. Faith in the Lord Jesus purifies it. Sickness and disease gains the upper hand when you confess the testimony of your five senses. 
you get that sickness and disease gains the upper hand when you confess the testimony of your five senses. Folks, Satan is beaten with your words. He's beaten with the confession of the word of God. You're healed with your words. Make your lips do their duty. Fill them with his word. Confess the good confession. Always confess your health. Always confess the things that you need. Even on your body, you can confess new life in your body. Folks, Christianity is a living reality. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. It is the abundance of life that gives healing, strength, and energy. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, Casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. And that means that in the mind of the Father, there has come an end to worry, fear, and doubt. Because the work of the adversary has been destroyed. It's been eliminated. All we have to do is walk in it. Exodus 23, 25 through 26 was given to the Jews under the first covenant, but it may become a living, sweet reality to us. It says this, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall none cast her young nor be barren. In thy land the number of thy days I will fulfill. Is this new covenant that we're in as good as that? I say it is. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 says this. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 13. I can do all things in him that strengthens me. And then verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. We rise into that realm of the supernatural. We are absolute overcomers and we are perfectly victorious in Christ. And is it any wonder that Paul, at the close of the 8th chapter of Romans, declares this in verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Folks, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God as unveiled in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 and 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Folks, we stand on the mount of victory. Now we say, there is no more sickness in the body of Christ, and his word is a reality in the lives of the sons of God. You speak that, that's what it'll be. We're going out today to destroy the works of the enemy in the bodies, minds, and spirits of men. And folks, there are several methods of healing, but the one that stands first in the mind of the spirit is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
he was stricken and smitten with our diseases. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says we were healed, past tense. We look back at the cross for our healing. It's already been done, been taken care of. Folks, sin and sickness are one in the mind of the Father. That's just one thing. Sin and sickness is one. It's against him. Anything that touches the man and injures the man, God's against. Disease touches the man and God laid it on Jesus. Sin touches the man and God laid it on Jesus. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The 10th verse says, he hath made him sick. And when he declares that by his stripes we were healed, that means our freedom from sickness. That's our receipt in full for a sick, free, and sinless life. For sin and disease will not, shall not have dominion over us. And we take what belongs to us as sons and daughters of God. And we know that sin shall not have dominion over us. It tells us in Romans chapter 6. And we know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from that sin. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we've committed sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Glory to God. First John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Folks, we know that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to him with all our diseases, knowing that all those diseases were laid on Jesus and we don't have to put up with them. Now, it's not right that we should bear them. The adversary has no right to put diseases on us because they were laid on Christ. So I can say to the Father, do you see what the adversary has done in my body? In the name of Jesus, I take deliverance from this thing with which Satan has afflicted me. And I whisper in my heart and I say, by his stripes I am healed. That pain must go. Folks, there are a lot of people, multitudes are being healed like that today when they find out who they are in Christ and what their authority is. We can be just as free from diseases as we are from bad habits. And after all, the habit of sickness is like any other unclean habit. There is provision made for perfect healing and none of us, need to suffer from the hand of the enemy. Your deliverance 
is in the redemptive work of Christ. You know, it's hard for us to understand that the laws that are governing the earth very largely came into being with the fall of man and with the curse upon the earth. And it's because of this that many accuse God of the accidents that take place, of the sickness and death of loved ones, of storms and catastrophes, of earthquakes and floods that continually occur. All these natural laws, as we understand them, were set aside by Jesus whenever it was necessary to bless humanity. They came with the fall of Adam. Their author is Satan, and when Satan is finally eliminated from human contact, or rather from the earth, these laws will stop functioning. Jesus' description of the Father and his declaration in John chapter 14 and 9 says is, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And it makes it impossible for us for a moment to accept the teaching that disease and sickness are of God. God, the Father's very nature, refutes the argument that he would use sickness to discipline us or to deepen our piety. Jesus plainly taught us in Luke 13, and speaking of the woman with the infirmity, that disease is of the adversary. That's what he said, Luke 13 and 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, lo, these 18 years, to have been loosed from this bond on the day of the Sabbath? And if you'll read the four Gospels carefully, you'll notice that Jesus was continually casting demons out of sick people, breaking Satan's dominion over the lives of men and women. Now, over in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter tells us this, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And in the Great Commission, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, These signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall shake up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. There ain't no such thing as the separation of disease and sickness from Satan. Disease came with the fall of man. You can't conceive of sickness in the Garden of Eden before Adam's sin. The fall was of the adversary, the devil. Sickness and sin have that same origin. Jesus' attitude toward sickness was an uncompromising warfare with Satan continually. He healed all who were sick. Nobody came to him who did not receive immediate deliverance from it. And Jesus' attitude toward sin and his attitude toward sickness were identical. He dealt with sickness just like he dealt with demons. And we have been driven to the conclusion that if disease and sickness are of the devil, and we found that they are, then there is only one attitude that the believer can take in regard to them. 
we must follow in Jesus' footstep and deal with disease as Jesus dealt with it. When Israel came out of Egypt, she was God's own covenant people. And as soon as that nation had crossed the Red Sea and started toward its homeland, the angel of the covenant said to Moses in Exodus 15, 26, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will permit none of the diseases upon thee which I have permitted upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. God didn't put the diseases on Israel. Neither did he put the diseases upon the Egyptians. It was Satan, the God of this world, who has made men sick. And here the Lord declares that he is to be Israel's healer. In Exodus 23, 25 through 26, he said, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee, there shall none cast her young nor be barren in thy land, and the number of thy days I will fulfill. He says he, he will take sickness from the midst of them. And it's a remarkable fact that as long as Israel walked in the covenant, there was no sickness among them. There's no record of any babies or young people ever having died as long as they kept the covenant. And there shall none cast her young. There were to be no miscarriages, nor abnormal abortions. There was to be no barren wives in the land. Every home was to have children. He said, the number of thy days I will fulfill. There were no premature deaths of covenant people. Every person was to grow to full age before he laid down his work. Folks, that's remarkable. The Lord took over that nation. He became their healer, protector, and supplier of every need. He was everything they needed. Deuteronomy seven thirteen through 15 says, And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee he will also bless the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground, thy grain, and thy new wine and thine oil, the increase of thy cattle and the young of thy flock in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. The Lord was to meet every need, supply every demand of that nation. He was to be intimately in contact with every member of the family. And everything connected with them was to bear the stamp of prosperity and success. Disease and sickness was not to be tolerated among them. Second Chronicles 16 and 11 says this. And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, 
Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. His disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers. Now, one, you can see real clear here that the Lord was displeased with Asa for seeking the help of man when God had promised to be his healer. And I'll say this, folks, he's very displeased with God's, with his people seeking man's help rather than his. And if you'll read the Psalms very carefully, you'll find that God was Israel's healer. It's continually mentioned. Psalms 103 and 3 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy desire with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. The fact that disease came through disobedience to the law is evidence. Forgiveness for the disobedience meant the healing of their bodies. Now listen to this in Mark 11 and 24. All things whatsoever ye pray and ask for, believe that ye received them and ye shall have them. And we've also been told in Colossians chapter 1 and 13 that he has already delivered us out of the power of darkness and that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. Galatians 2 and 20. We don't have a problem with sin, folks. It's already been solved. And we don't have a problem with that old man either. We don't have a problem with demon possession or oppression. As we've just got through talking about it, every bit of it been solved. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. All of our problems have been solved. And then 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Every bit of it's been solved, hadn't it? Sin problems been dealt with. Sickness problems have been dealt with. Now all we have to do is just rest. And we can enter into the rest. We don't have to worry about a thing. Because in Philippians 4 and 6, it says, In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, praise God, let your request be made known unto God. We can give him thanks that it's already done. And so we can enter into God's rest. We keep our spiritual New Testament Sabbath by ceasing from every bit of our works that try to save us, ourselves, right? And since God's already done it, he's already healed us, he's already delivered us, he's already provided for us, and he's already protected us, all of these things. Since he's already done these things, then the only thing that remains is for us to enter into that rest through faith, 
For we who have believed do enter into that rest, Hebrews 4 and 3 said. And whatever problem you got, the Lord has already solved it. And that helps us to be able to enter into faith because you know what faith is? Romans 4 and 16 and 17. For this cause, it is of faith that it may be according to grace, even God, who calls the thing that are not as though they were. Every bit of it's past tense. It was taken care of at the cross, and now we get to enter into this by our faith. And one thing about these past tense prophet promises is that we don't have to do it. It's God that does it. They exclude us doing any kind of works at all. And since it's already been accomplished, there's nothing we can do to bring it to pass except just believe that God's doing it. Hebrews 4 and 3 said, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. And in verse 9, There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And in 10, For he that has entered into his rest hath himself also rested from his works, as God did from him. God purposely gave us all these promises in the past tense so that when we believed him, we'd have to cease from our works and enter into the rest of God and receive this wonderful free gift from him by grace. It excludes our works and causes us to rest. It brings us to a place of weakness. Because when we believe that there's nothing that we can do of our own strength to bring it to pass, we go into rest, don't we? The Apostle Paul spoke about that in his tribulation. Faith brings us to weakness. Weakness brings us to the power of God. That's what Paul's story is all about. Second Corinthians 12 and 7 said, And by reason of the exceeding greatness of the revelations that I should not be exalted over much, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should not be exalted over much. Now, here's the thing. This messenger of Satan was bringing him into many persecutions and troubles and trials that he needed God's power in. And in that place of his weakness, in his ability to save himself, the Lord became his Savior. Glory to God. Praise be to God forevermore. And he's ours too. And now we share with Paul in that resurrection life. We reign as kings in the realm of this resurrection life. You are what he says you are, whether you recognize it or not. And you share in all that Jesus did or is. And as he was in his earth walk, you are today. And as he is seated at the Father's right hand, and you're there legally also. Praise God forevermore. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you, and we'll see you next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123.
Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Trust in. 